I was very uh, thrilled for many reasons uh, with our promotion Sunday. You know, I was especially excited about the college, you know, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, but, but really, you know, those, those three ladies and Daniel as well, taking how God had made them and finding their place in this world where he can use them. And I, and, I, and I pray and I believe that as being part of this church, God has used us in that process to help equip them for what God has for them. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited for all four of them and for Beth, too. Well, especially. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Have you, seen, uh, have you seen a billboard like this? Have you guys seen that? All emergency services. My father-in-law drove by this billboard, I guess, kind of quickly. Uh, and he drove past it, and he thought, what's going on here? Thought it, he didn't see the, the bottom part. Thought that all emergency services on June 7th were going to be suspended for a 12-hour period. He went into a bit of a panic. He said he, his panic grew worse when he remembered that, that his guns were in Kansas at his brother's house. Because if it were true, and no law and order, no law enforcement, no services for 12 hours, and he would need those guns to protect his, his family. But he soon found out that it was just an advertisement for a movie, no, no real danger. So what about, what about this sign? Have you seen a sign like that? Judgment is coming. Are you ready? Does it put you in a bit of a panic? Does it make you want to buy some guns and stock up on ammo? Or do you, do you just ignore it like my father-in-law should have done with that uh, purge sign? The difference is the second sign, judgment is coming, isn't an advertisement for a movie. But is a fact, a truth found in the word of God. One of the verses on the sign, if you can read that. Hebrews 9.27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The Bible speaks of judgment. The author of Hebrews makes it clear, as many other passages in the Bible, judgment is coming. And no amount of guns or ammo will protect you or anyone else on planet earth from the coming judgment. In our passage today, the, the Lord is going to tell Abraham, and just so you know, the text doesn't actually, God doesn't actually say these words, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's clearly implied, and Abraham gets the point, because the beginning of uh, our, our passage next week, verse 23 of Genesis, he'll, God, Abraham's going to say, will you sweep away Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 50 righteous going to start? But we're going to get to that next week. My point is, in our passage, the Lord is telling Abraham that judgment is coming. Not to the world in this case, not yet, but to two wicked cities. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to see why God tells Abraham that this judgment is coming. Why did he he stop by? Why did he tell Abraham that judgment is coming? And in the process, what I want us to do is examine why God, in his word has told us, us his people, that judgment is coming to our world. Why does he tell us that? 
Last week we read about the Lord and his two companions visiting Abraham. They'd come down to to verify, to check on the outcry that was going up into heaven from Sodom and Gomorrah. But they had stopped by, stopped off to encourage Abraham and Sarah regarding the promised child. Remember, the promise was given, hadn't yet been fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah had prepared a substantial meal for the visitors. And the Lord had informed them that within one year, Sarah would give birth to this promised child. Sarah, who was living in the hopeless reality of her personal circumstances, her personal physical circumstances, knowing that there was no possible way for her to have a child, didn't believe it was possible. So when she heard the promise, restated again, she laughed at it. Inside, but she laughed. The Lord goes on to reassure and rebuke her by saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I am God Almighty and I will fulfill my promises. The Lord had confronted Sarah. He had confronted her unbelief. He confronted Abraham who didn't seem to be passing on the faith to his wife. He had encouraged them both with his power. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. You've waited 23 years, but in less than a year, in less than a year, I'm going to come back and you're going to give birth. And with that, having finished the meal, the Lord and his two companions got up to leave. Verse 16 of of Genesis chapter 18. That's where we are today, Genesis chapter 18. If I didn't mention that, it's in your notes. I I think I have most of the verses in your notes, in your bulletin, if you want to follow along. Verse 16, then the men set out from there, the men, the Lord and the three visitors and the two other guys, and they looked down toward Sodom. They're they're going to Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. They were heading for Sodom and Abraham, the Lord's friend, a friend of God, walks with them. Abraham walks with the Lord. Abraham has no idea that judgment was coming. But the Lord would let him in on his plans. The Lord wouldn't hide this from him. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? What was the Lord about to do? Judgment was coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he wasn't going to hide it from his friend Abraham. No, says the Lord. Then in verses 20, excuse me, verses 18 through 22, the Lord gives three reasons Three reasons why he's going to tell Abraham that Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed. And with these three reasons, I think we can gain some insight into why God tells us of the judgment that is coming to our world. First, God tells Abraham of his plans because Abraham would bless the nations. Abraham was to be a blessing to the nations. I will bless you and you will be a blessing, God had said in Chapter 12 of Genesis, seeing, verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. That was a promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. The culmination of the promise. All the nations in the earth would be blessed through Abraham. Abraham was God's chosen man. He was chosen for God's purpose. And he was also God's friend. I pray that for for these, still thinking of these college girls, and Daniel as well. I pray that for for them, 
I, I think they're, they're chosen for God's purposes, and I pray that they will walk with God, that God will be their friend as they, as they, as they do the things he's called them to. Now, true, Abraham and we are also God's servants, but servants may not know their master's purposes. Masters may just say, go there, do this. I'm your master and do it because I said so. But, but not so with friends. The Lord points out that, that he will tell Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah because through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. God knew that Abraham and his descendants would be involved in the affairs of nations and cities and peoples. Passage in scripture, the reference escapes me now, but it says uh, about Israel, I have set you in the center of the nations. God put them in, in the place he put them surrounded by empires. They were God's chosen representatives in the world. If God were to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and not tell Abraham, not tell him he was going to do it and not tell him why he was going to do it, how could he, Abraham, or his offspring represent God to the, to the nations? As word spread throughout the land of Canaan and beyond of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, as people came to hear that the cities were destroyed by the God of Abraham, it would be important that Abraham and his descendants understand and be able to explain why that destruction had occurred. They Abraham and his descendants for generations to come would be able to point to the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and hold it up in contrast to an all-powerful holy God. This event would speak of God's power, his holiness, and his judgments. Sodom and Gomorrah would become a warning to God's people and to the nations of, of who the God of Abraham was and is, what he expected. And as his representatives, Abraham and his descendants, were responsible to bless the nations with the warning of God's judgment of these two wicked cities. Now this applies to us. It's important that we, as, as God's representatives in the world, and that's what we are, Paul calls us, ambassadors of Christ. It's important that we bless the nations, the people in our lives, with the warning of God's judgment of these two cities, it provides an illustration, and beyond, and the judgment to come. This warning points to God's judgment of all sin. As we seek to be a blessing to the nations, we need to know and explain to others that the scripture teaches that all nations, all peoples, all individuals will be judged by God for their sin. This message is, is clear. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you've never heard this before. This message has clearly been lost in much of the church. Telling people that judgment is coming is not popular, it's not happy. Dina said she's glad she's downstairs. She didn't want to hear this. I'm going to make her listen to the tape. I, I can't really do that, but I'm going to try. When you hear those words, maybe, maybe you think of some, somebody in that slide carrying a sign. Some crazy-eyed guy walking the streets 
with a sign saying, repent, the end is near, judgment is coming. Now, I don't necessarily recommend in our culture today the sign-carrying method of of evangelism, of, of, of sharing the truth. But I, and more importantly, Jesus, endorse the message. Judgment is coming. And for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, judgment will be quite literally I'm going to use this word too, hell. Judgment will be quite literally hell. In the Gospels, Jesus speaks of judgment, the judgment of hell. Jesus, the loving Savior Jesus, speaks of the judgment of hell more than 70 times. He calls it a a place of everlasting fire and eternal damnation. A place where the fire will never be quenched, where the worm will never die. A place of wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth, of torment and darkness and everlasting punishment. Jesus' words, not mine. The coming judgment, hell, will not be pleasant. Not be a pleasant thing for anyone to experience. Contrary to our culture's popular opinion, there will be no parties in hell. And if we as his representatives, as God's representatives in this world, don't warn people of the terrible judgment to come, who will? Who will? If we are to be a blessing in our world, if we are to be world changers, then we need to warn people of this coming judgment. And along with warning them, we have the opportunity to explain to them how to escape the coming judgment through Jesus Christ. But you know, no one wants to escape unless they know they're in danger. So as part of telling people about the Savior, we need to tell them what they will be saved from. Now that, that might be difficult, a difficult subject to bring up. I'm sure maybe you're thinking about that. Or how do I tell people? Judgment. I'm just going to sound judgmental. Possibly you could begin a conversation or in conversation just by expressing the joy you have because you're going to escape this judgment. You know, point to yourself. You know, I, I deserve this judgment. But because of Christ, I'm escaping it. Or you could ask people about, about this world. and the, the, I think we all know that this world has a lot of issues and problems and evils. Ask them, do they believe in, do you believe in hell even? Do they think God will judge people? Who, who, are, who are evil people? Who will God judge? You could actually, novel concept here, study Jesus' life with someone. And you know what? He brings it up a lot. It will come up. Jesus talks about the judgment. Or maybe you could find yourself in a situation where you believe God is is judging you and then fall apart in tears and have to explain to them why you're crying. That didn't make any sense to anybody, did it? Let me explain. When I was uh, 13 or 14 years old, uh, this is based on a true story, by the way. I'm I'm not sure, you know, the memory goes i'm approaching that 5-0 mark but i had a friend his name was eddie 
When he was at my house one day, my mom asked if, if I would go to the store and pick up some bread or milk or eggs, one of those things. Eddie had a motorcycle, and, and I, I asked if he'd give me a ride, if that was okay. And my mom said it was okay, and he said, sure. Back in the day, we could do that up in Woodcrest, ride around on motorcycles. Van Buren wasn't that crowded, and, and, and there wasn't even a Stater Brothers. We, he had to take me back trails over to 7-Eleven on the corner of Washington. It's still there. Anyway, so Eddie took me to the store, but when we got back from the store, we got home, no, no one was there. When I had left, my mom and my dad and my brother were all, were all at home. It only took about 15 minutes to get back to the store, and now they were all gone. The cars were still in the driveway, and there was food cooking on the stove. Cue the music. Bum, 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 bum. I had recently seen, I mean, within the past few months before that, the movie uh, A Thief in the Night. Anybody seen that? Modern-day Left Behind series on film. So I began to get very upset. We hadn't lived in Riverside long, and my, my parents had only met one of our neighbors. So, so I ran out the front door and headed to that neighbor's house. And, as I, and I was, as I was walking, my brother is coming back from that neighbor's house, and I was a little relieved. Oh, my parents must be down there. I'm not left behind. But when I got to my brother, he said, no, I don't know where mom and dad are. I said, well, they're not at home, and the cars are still there, and there's something cooking on the stove. And my brother had seen the movie, too. And so we looked at each other, and we've been left behind. We went back home and, and actually started crying. There were tears in our eyes. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Left Behind, but it really paints a terrible picture. And this whole time, my friend Eddie's just looking at us. What's going on here? He doesn't get it. He's just watching me. Now he asks, what's going on? And so I started to explain with no hesitation, no fear. I mean, it's our, I'm left behind. You know, I got to tell him. Told him about Jesus and the rapture and the tribulation and judgment and, and all that stuff. And we had to run to the hills. He, he started getting really worried too. You know, he, he could see it on our face. This isn't, I wasn't making this stuff up. Now about that time, my parents showed up. They had uh, met one of the other neighbors that I didn't know about and were around at the corner at their house. So I, I wasn't left behind. But I did get to warn Eddie about the coming judgment. So that's one way to do it if you find yourself in that situation. But as, the point is, as God's representatives, take every opportunity. Take every opportunity in, in uh, any way you can to warn people. Abraham, his descendants, and us were to be a blessing. And part of that blessing, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, is warning people that judgment is coming. Second, but but related to the first, God would not hide what he was about to do because Abraham would teach his descendants. Abraham, is that what I put up? Abraham would teach his descendants. Both Abraham and his descendants would be God's representatives in the world. And as such, the example of Sodom and Gomorrah would serve as, as a warning. It's a warning both to the nations and a warning to Abraham's descendants. Listen to verse 19. For I have chosen him, Abraham, 
the Lord speaking, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised him. Abraham would be responsible for instructing his household in the ways of the Lord. And God desired that his people be a people who did righteousness and justice. They were righteous people. They did what was right. They were just people. They did what was just. This would be a major purpose of the law that God would give to Abraham's descendants. Grounded on the second most important commandment. The first being love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second being love your neighbor as yourself. Do right. Be just to your neighbors. Care for the widows, the orphans. Care for the aliens that are in your land. To be a righteous and just person. And Sodom and Gomorrah would be an example, an object lesson of how God felt about those that were totally unrighteous, totally unjust. God's judgment of these two cities would become a powerful teaching tool to Abraham's descendants. My children, do you know what God thinks of an unjust culture? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. These cities were still used as an example when the New Testament was written. Jude warns that those who don't believe in Christ, he warns them with these words in in Jude 1.7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and their surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, literally strange flesh, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. The image of Sodom and Gomorrah was powerful, a powerful teaching tool. And, you know, it still is today. Have you ever ever heard anybody say a a place, or have you read that this place is a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. People have that image in in their head. They may not even believe in the Bible, but they understand that that imagery of destruction that comes upon the wicked. Those who are unrighteous and unjust. Like Abraham, we too should should teach our children, both our physical children and our, our spiritual disciples, that God desires us to be righteous and just. And we too have the the example of of Sodom and Gomorrah to illustrate what happens to a people who totally ignore God's righteousness and justice. So the Lord will tell Abraham of the destruction of these two cities because Abraham's responsible to bless the nations and he's also responsible to teach his descendants about righteousness and justice. And finally... The Lord tells Abraham of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because the outcry is great and their sin is grave. Outcry is great and the sin is grave. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. This is not only a reason for telling Abraham, but it's the reason for the destruction of these two cities. The outcry was great and their sin was very grave. Now, when we think of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, we naturally think of, of sexual sin. For as, we, uh, as we'll read in chapter 19, if you've ever, the angels are going to go in and some strange things are going to happen. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. 
And as Jude wrote, they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So we've got that, I think. I think we've heard that. But if we think of the sins of these cities as only sexual perversions, if we think of their only sin as homosexuality, sodomy, where we get the word, then we don't get the full picture of what's happening here. And we might not pay attention to this as a warning that applies to you and me. It's only for those kind of people. But the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is, is much broader than sexual sin. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was great, and their sin was grave. The Hebrew word there, outcry, is used in Scripture to describe the cries of the oppressed. It's used for the, the cry of the oppressed widow or orphan, the cry of the oppressed servant, the cries of the Israelites in Egypt. Jeremiah used it to refer to the scream of terror by an individual city when it's attacked. Such an outcry is, is the miserable wail of the oppressed, the brutalized. Jewish scholar Nahum Sarna says the word outcry used in this verse in Genesis says of, of it, it connotates the anguished cry of the oppressed, the agonized plea of the victim for help in the face of some great injustice. In the Bible, it's infused with moral outrage and soul-stirring passion. The sin of Sodom, then, is heinous moral and social corruption, an arrogant disregard of basic human rights, a cynical insensitivity to the suffering of others. Whoa. Heavy. You might say, really? You get that from one word, Nahum? Way to go. But this is confirmed by the prophet Ezekiel. In chapter 15, verse 49, as he prophesies against Jerusalem, the holy city, he says this. Listen, maybe you've never heard this verse before. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Ezekiel is saying to Jerusalem, your sister is Sodom. You're related to Sodom now. You're following your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. People of Sodom, Ezekiel says, were prideful. They had more food than they knew what to do with. They were prosperous, but they hoarded what they had. They didn't give to the poor. They didn't give to the needy. Sound like anyone, any culture you might be aware of? Oh, that was a rhetorical question. Thanks for making it very clear, though, Kayla. Ours. You guys got it? The inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah cared only for themselves while they oppressed those in need. The poor and the needy were oppressed. But apparently, and this is important for us to understand, I think. I think we think it's the rich that oppress the poor. And that's true, oftentimes. But apparently, the poor and the needy oppress the poorer and the needier in this place. Even the poorest of the poor and the neediest of the needy oppressed one another. For as we'll see, within the walls of these cities, none were righteous. They've maybe lied, and he's going to get rescued, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. These cities and God's judgment upon them serve as a warning to us. 
For in many ways, we do in fact live in a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm not just talking about our culture. I'm talking about throughout the world. Historian David Wells has written, There is violence on the earth. The liberated search only for power. Industry despoils the earth. The powerful ride roughshod over the weak. The poor are left to die on city grates. The unborn are killed before they can ever see the rich and beautiful world that God has made. The elderly are encouraged to get on with the business of dying so that they might, so that we might take their places. And as judgment came to Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment will come to our world. The Apostle Peter makes this clear, 2 Peter 2, 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example, and therefore has to be remembered as an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Peter has very harsh words for those who follow the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were turned to ashes. They were condemned to extinction. There are no more Sodom or Gomorrahites. They don't exist anymore. They are an example of what will befall the ungodly, the prideful, the sexually immoral, those who oppress and don't give aid to the poor and needy. Their destruction was to serve as an example to Abraham, his descendants, and to us of what befalls a people who turn completely away from the Lord. But before they were destroyed, the Lord says this in verse 21. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. God says to Abraham, I'm going, I'm going to check it out. I want to see if, if what's going on down there matches the outcry that I'm hearing. God's hearing the outcry. And if it doesn't, okay, I'll leave them be. Now we know that God is omniscient. He knows all things. And he's omnipresent. He, he's everywhere. So he doesn't really have to take a trip to know what's happening in a specific location. But the Lord is speaking to Abraham in terms that he can understand. The Lord has taken the form of man and he communicates with Abraham as a a man would. His purpose was to assure Abraham he would base his judgment on full, accurate information. Not hearsay. I'm going to check it out. Does the outcry match what's taking place? And as we know, the outcry was completely accurate. And God's judgment did come on Sodom and Gomorrah. I hope this gives us a a clear picture of God's righteousness and justice that's forming in our mind. That God cannot and will not tolerate sin. No, he doesn't deal with every unrighteousness and injustice, every unrighteous or unjust city the same way he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. Because if he did, wouldn't be a whole lot of cities out there. But never doubt that God hears and cares about the cries of the oppressed. We may be unaware of injustice in our world, but God is not. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on this passage, wrote this. And it's a a long quote. I didn't put it up there. I I just want you guys to maybe even close your eyes and, and listen to these words. Listen. Can't you hear those cries in your imagination? 
I think I hear the cry of a child, wretched, hurt, and terrified, being beaten by a drunken father. There's another cry. It's the cry of an old man being assaulted by a gang of tough street youths. I hear the painful cry as they beat him around the face and shoulders. There's the cry of the teenage girl being raped in an abandoned car. And there, the cry of a wife abandoned by her husband. I hear the cry of a broken man so trapped by our dehumanizing welfare system that he's given up. I hear the cry of sinful pleasures, the rancorous cries in the thousands of bars that scar the faces of our cities, the cries of prostitutes and those who patronize them, the soft cries of drug addicts, the arrogant cries of those who have been able to defeat their enemies or ruin their competitors. But wait, but wait. These cries are only a fraction of those millions of cries that are rising every minute of every day from every city, every street, every village of our land. Cries that are all heard by God, felt by God. Must God's judgment not fall on us too and quickly? How shall we escape? How shall we escape ourselves when the only righteous God comes down to see if what we have done is as bad as the accusation that has reached him. Sodom and Gomorrah serve as a testimony, a picture of God's eventual response to all sin. No one gets off the hook. And that should be a warning. But it also, praise God to be a call to worship. It's a warning for those who continue in unrighteousness, who continue in injustice, who give themselves to sexual and other sins, who hoard resources to themselves, who oppress the poor and don't give generously to those in need. Warning! You will suffer a similar, actually a worse fate than Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude calls it a punishment of eternal fire. No way around it. That does not sound good. But the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah serves a different purpose for those who are righteous. Or should I say, for those for whom God has counted as righteous in Jesus Christ. Through no work of of your own or my own, God has seen fit in Christ to declare your sins forgiven. Your unrighteousness, your injustice is forgiven in Christ. You are righteous in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, you and I would deserve and receive a, a similar fate as the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you've truly trusted in Christ, if he's your Lord, if he's your Savior, then, then that's what he's saving you from. That's what he's saving you from. You will escape their fate. Instead of eternal fire, you'll not only escape it, you'll not only not receive the eternal fire, but you'll receive eternal life in the presence of God Almighty. And that, brothers and sisters, is the greatest call to worship imaginable. I so appreciate Chad is our leader in worship. He points this out to us. And we have to remember it. We have to remember what we've been rescued for. And that should make us fall to our knees. 
Fall to our knees and worship. Worship the one who delivered you from coming judgment. From eternal, terrible, awful destruction. Abraham was one of those who was counted righteous before God. Scripture says, Genesis 15, 6, we studied it for a couple weeks. Abraham was counted righteous. He believed God and, and he was counted as righteous. He would escape God's wrath. He would escape God's judgment. And this, I believe, caused him to have compassion for others. He knew he didn't deserve God's blessings. They just came out of the blue. Chapter 12, we know nothing about Abraham, but he comes from this idolatrous culture, and God chooses him and says, I'm going to bless you. So in verse 22, we read, So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Abraham wasn't, wasn't going. The Lord's two companions, these men slash angels, go ahead to, to, down to Sodom to check out the situation. And we'll read about them when we get to chapter 19, what happens there. But Abraham didn't want to leave the Lord. He'd been informed of the coming judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he stays with the Lord. And as we'll see next week, he intercedes for these two cities. We'll look at Abraham's intercession next week. But the question I end with today is this. What do we do with the information we have that judgment is coming? And yes, we, like Abraham, have been informed that God's holy, eternal wrath will be poured out on those who don't trust in Jesus Christ. We've been informed by Jesus himself that, yes, judgment and hell are real. So what do we do? We've talked about it. I want to emphasize it. Next week, we'll see that, that intercessory prayer is an important thing that we should be doing. We need to pray for those that... If something doesn't change, we'll experience the judgment of God. But, but is there anything else we should be doing? Remember why God told Abraham. Because he, he wanted, he, he was the one that was called to bless the nations and to teach his descendants by warning them that God will judge sin. Think about it this way. What if you were a passenger on the Titanic and you knew the iceberg was coming? Or what if you knew that, that there was an earthquake coming that would send another tidal wave onto the shores of Japan? A, a tsunami would engulf that nation again. What if you knew the exact path of the next tornado that was going to touch down in Oklahoma? Those poor people. Or, or what if on September 10th, 2001, you knew what was going to happen on September 11th, 2001? What would you do with this important, potentially life-saving information? I think, I hope, most of us would certainly begin to pray for those that would be affected. But I think and I hope most of us would also do whatever we could to communicate that information to those who were at risk. We would tell the captain of the Titanic. We would shout warnings from the deck. We would try to tell the people of Japan and Oklahoma that disaster was coming. We would make phone calls to every important person we could in, in New York. We'd try to convince them that 
that planes were headed for the World Trade Center. Maybe we'd even have the guts to strap on some signs and walk around and say, run for your lives, planes are coming. Doesn't sound so crazy when it's actually going to happen, does it? Now, not everyone would believe us, but we would use the information we had, the information we'd been given, hopefully, to help save some lives. When sure disaster is approaching, approaching, I think we would do practically anything to save people's lives. Now, Abraham wasn't given the opportunity to warn the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their fate was in the hand of a sovereign God. He knew judgment was coming, but he, but he couldn't warn those who would be judged. We, on the other hand, know that judgment is coming. We not only know it, but we've been given the task to warn those, to warn people that judgment is coming. We know that for those who've not given their lives to Christ, sure, an eternal disaster is quickly approaching. And we've been given the opportunity to warn them. We need to let that sit with us. We need to think about that. We need to understand the, the great privilege we've been given and the great responsibility we've been given as God's men and women today in this world, as his ambassadors and representatives. I'd encourage you this week and beyond to consider the reality. Sit with the reality. Maybe go through your Bible and, and look at Jesus' words about the reality of the judgment that's coming to our world but not just to our world macro, but to our world micro, the people in your world. Think about the people in your world. And as you face that difficult reality, ask the Lord to lead you to those that that he wants you to warn. In in different ways, in different methods. You know, probably you're not going to have a left-behind experience that leads to that. But God will, if you pray, you know, this is difficult, but... Is, is there anything more important than telling people that judgment is coming and that Jesus provides an escape for that judgment? Maybe you start there. Jesus has provided this escape. Not everyone will believe. They're not going to believe what you say all the time. But we must use the information we've been given to hopefully help. We're just, we're just the messengers. God does the saving to help save some from the coming judgment. Would you pray with me? Father God, I I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would give us boldness, give us a clear understanding, a clear picture, Lord, that this image that we'll continue to study of Sodom and Gomorrah would be burned in our hearts and minds and and know that that's just the first judgment, Lord. There's, There's more to come. And we have... We have the, the, the life-saving words. We have the gospel that can save people from experiencing this terrible judgment. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness, give us opportunity, use us to help change this world, to bring righteousness and justice by, by sharing your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.